For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Welcome back, everyone, to the Really Real Real Estate Podcast. All right, everyone, it is episode 111. Play that number. I got a good feeling about it. Uh, Should I buy this fixer? Upper. <laughs> Many times as realtors, we have buyers who come to us, especially first time home buyers, thinking that they want to buy a so called fixer upper. However, the more we look into it and discuss the nuts and bolts of buying said fixer upper, no pun intended, uh, they may reconsider buying it. Uh, today, we talk about about everything you should consider as a home buyer to determine whether buying a fixer upper is a good fit for you or not. My name is Lou Lombardi. Now here is your real estate advisor who needs no fixing upping, <laughs> Mr. Jason Wilcox. Lou, you just gave me a new goal for this podcast. You just introduced this episode as episode 111. It's a mile marker for people who make 250 episodes or 500 episodes or 1,000 episodes of whether it's a you know sitcom or a drama or you know some type of late night television show. My new goal is I want to make it to episode 666 <laughs> just so you can just so you can introduce the podcast episode as episode six 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 we'll have to do something special for that episode yeah, <laughs> yeah let's do that um okay so well moving along yeah, yeah. as they would say uh yeah we are talking today about fixer uppers um and this is a hot topic uh at least for me because i work with a lot of buyers who let's say think they want to buy a fixer upper, but then, like I meant, like we mentioned in the introduction, when we really get into the nuts and bolts of it and really outline what this means and more importantly, what it's going to cost, <laughs> that then the, the the tune gets changed, if you will. The the tune gets changed and the 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 song, they start singing a different song, if you will. So I'm I'm excited for this one because this is one of those ones that I don't want this to be a Debbie Downer episode. I just want this to really be a think it all the way through. And after we've talked about everything, if you're still good with it, well, then maybe you are the type of person that can, that can buy and, um, and take care of a fixer up. You're in the 1%. Yes, <laughs> exactly. 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 <laughs> um, so before we get started, I want to be very clear because we've, we've taught, we've done some episodes recently geared towards investors. You know, when we've talked about investor responsibilities versus, um, you know, realtor responsibility, looking at just, um, you know, some of the different facets from the investing world. Um, 
this particular episode, though, is more geared towards home buyers, uh, owner occupants, if you will, and more importantly, probably first time home buyers. I'm going to be very honest. When I talk with families that you know are in their mid to late 40s, have three kids and two dogs, the last thing they're thinking about is a fixer upper. This is usually a conversation I'm having with first time home buyers. Now, I won't say that these principles don't apply to investors. So, investors take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. Uh, but just know that as we're talking, I am specifically talking to the first time home buyers in this episode because these conversations I'm having are usually work when I'm working with first time home buyers. Okay. A- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You can get yourself into a uh, situation. So what is, before we get into who should do what, <laughs> what is it? Let's say, uh, give a definition or describe a so-called fixer upper. So a fixer upper in my personal opinion is really any house that needs fixing upping. <laughs> Good night. That's it. That's all we got left. Um, but really it, it can kind of range. Um, it can range from anything like what I like to call grandma's house all the way to a foreclosure. So when I talk about grandma's house, I'm talking about that home that's maybe an estate. Maybe it's, you know, just an elderly person that has lived there for a long time. And while it's usually kept in very good condition, grandma's house, because they're very meticulous about maintaining their home, a lot of time it's very, very dated. It's, you know, carpet that's 15, 20 years old, wallpaper that's been on since the 70s, um, dated kitchens, you know, a lot of times for my countertops, laminate floors, you know, um, built-in appliances. Um, So anything from grandma's house, which just needs a lot of updating to foreclosures, which are basically a lot of times, as we've talked about, houses that aren't even habitable when you first come (laughs) in. Um, they, They need a whole lot of repair work just to even get them livable, you know, running new plumbing, running new electrical, running new HVAC, things like that. So it can really span that, that, that spectrum. But the, at the end of the day, a fixer upper is a house that's going to need, you know, a fair amount of work, uh, you know, to, 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 you know, either make it updated or make it livable. Okay. So um, let's talk about what work might actually be done. And what really constitutes an actual fixer upper versus maybe, oh, I want to change the carpet in here or, oh, I don't, you know, we're going to re- we're going to repaint the bedroom or whatever. Right. Right. So- exactly. Yeah. And, and let me let me just tack that on to what is a fixer upper. A fixer upper is more than just paint and, and, and wall or, um, paint and carpet. That's the when you're talking, you know, updating the, the 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 flooring, you know, and maybe updating the paint. That's that's not a fixer upper. That's not a fixer upper. A fixer upper needs needs more than that. So, yeah, the first question that I'm going to talk to buyers about is this what exact work needs done on a house because each individual house is going to bode a different amount of work. So the questions that you have to ask yourself is first off, how, um, I'm reading my notes here and realizing um, <laughs> I was like, wait, I wrote some, this is what happens, ladies and gentlemen, I write notes and then I can't read them. <laughs> um, the question that you have to ask yourself is, are they minor repairs? You know, again, if it's something like 
Um, you know, the, 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 the kitchen's a little dated, but all you really want to do is replace cabinets and countertops, or maybe you have some bathrooms that just need some new vanities, things like that. You know, is it, is it going to be minor stuff or is it going to be a costly repair? You know, we've talked about if it's a foreclosure or if it's somebody selling the house as is, you know, you may be looking at busted water lines, a cracked sewer line, you know, you may be looking at knob and tube electrical work. So you have to ask yourself, how extensive are these repairs? And more importantly, how much are these are going to cost? You know, you have to have a good idea as a first time home buyer, how much this repair work is going to ha- cost. And are, are, are you going to be able to, to, to fund it? You right. know, and are you, are you going to be able to, to, to be able to afford those repairs? Absolutely. Um, I think that I think the next question is 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 the house livable for you and or your family? Whether you know, I don't know if you're a single bachelor bachelorette, if you're you know dating or newly married, maybe you do have a young family, um, you know. And and if it's not livable, how quickly can you make it livable? You know, can you? Can you stay in your current house until you get it two months down the road where it is livable? You know, so you have to kind of look at the the livability of this particular property to make sure that everything is 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 you know okay. And if not, you have to determine the timeline because if you're you know right now you know full disclosure we're recording this on Wednesday and I think this one's dropping on Friday. You know if you have to be out of your house at the end of the month, you know that's eight days. And if the house is totally unlivable and the electrical and the water <laughs> and the gas aren't even on, you're not going to make that livable in eight days. It's just not going to happen. You know, so you have to make sure that you know you're working with 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 a house that you know if it isn't livable, you've got the time enough time in your schedule to make it livable okay and so um one of the questions we need to ask ourselves right is what (laughs) what is your personal skill level (laughs) yes so and actually this kind of ties into a bulleted point that we're going to get to later down um in in the in the episode but yeah what are your trade skills like me I have personally seen every episode of Home Improvement, okay. and that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's it. All. That's your education on on uh, doing uh, home repairs. <laughs> exactly. That that's exactly it. That's that's my education. That's all I know. Outside that, I'm calling our buddy Nick Paulus or somebody else to come in and do the work. The reason why that's important is because that's going to kind of determine into your costs. You know, for me, it might cost me $100,000 to fix up a home that somebody else could maybe fix up $40,000 if they're doing all the work themselves. Right. So you have to determine what your trade skills are, uh, because if you're not doing most of the work yourself, you either need to A, hire someone out that's going to do the work for you, and B, you're going to have to factor that time in. I think we've had that conversation, Lou, that recently with everything going on in the world, labor is at a shortage and the trades are at a shortage. So people are, I was just talking to my mother-in-law the other day. I think she's getting some kitchen work done. I think she's doing cabinets and countertops and her guy that she normally goes to is like three months out. And it's just like, yeah, that's where we're at right now. The trades are shorthanded and they're busy. So they're having to wait. Going back to the previous bullet point about how quickly you need to make it livable if it's not livable and your tradesperson that you're hiring can't get in for three months, you're in a situation where you're holding that property for three months. 
I'm, you got to make sure that wherever you're living, you could be there for that extra time because you're hiring someone else to do the work. So knowing what your trade skills are, or in my case are not, is going to factor into how much of the work you're going to do yourself versus how much you're going to hire out. And that's going to affect cost, you know, time, all of that. Right. So that fixer upper that um, you're looking at, oh, it's a great price. You know, is it still a great price? <laughs> yeah, you factor exactly. In. Um, exactly. And uh, like, what's your schedule? We sort of touched on this, the schedule, your, your, your schedule, but, uh, but in terms, oh, oh, I see what you mean. In your terms, of, you know, are you working like what, like a 60 hour job and are you going to have time to actually do the work? <laughs> exactly. So I'll give you an example. I, um, and he's done great work on the house. I'm so proud of him. I, um, I have a buyer that I sold a house to probably, it was before the pandemic. I think it was right around 2017, 2018. Okay. And, um, he was, he was a veteran and he had a lot of handy skills. He had a lot of work he could do himself. Um, and he bought a house that was, this was the true definition of a fixer upper because it wasn't a total foreclosure. Okay. It was still livable, but it was, it was more than grandma's house. Um, it was a okay. sad story of just the, the, the person that had lived there should have sold the house 10 years ago. Cause they didn't have the money to afford living there, but the, it was a husband and wife and the husband was very sick and did not want to sell the home, only wanted to be in his home while he was currently living. Um, and the wife didn't have the heart to sell the house out from uh, him while he was sick, which I get, I understand that's admirable, but unfortunately it put them in a little bit of a financial bind. So there were a lot of things that needed done. There was, um, there was actually no flooring, uh, throughout most of the house. When we walked in, it was actually just sub flooring. Um, there was some pretty bad leaking going going on in the kitchen, um, some, some plumbing work that had to be done. There were some other outdated aspects that needed to be uh, addressed. And I knew that the buyer could handle all of the work. The concern was not so much him doing the work. It was when he was going to do it because he was working for one of the local, um, the, the, the delivery services who shall name, remain nameless, but you may or may not wear brown pants when, when you work for them. <laughs> and so he was, he was working like 10 hour days. He was working, you know, from 9 AM to like 7 PM Monday through Friday, and then working like overtime six or eight hours on Saturday. Oh, so, geez. you know, there are a lot of nights where he was going over to the house at 9 30 10 o'clock to work on the house to lay flooring to fix certain things up and he did it he made it happen but it took them a little bit longer to move in because he was able to do the work but it wasn't like he was able to dedicate full time to the house you know when he first bought it it was it was part-time on nights and weekends around his full-time commitment, his full-time job, which again, worked for him. The house he bought, he was able to do that because that house was not so disheveled that he could, you know, or was not in such a state of disrepair that he could do more than just working on it on the weekends. It was kind of in the middle. It was more than grandma's house, but less than a foreclosure. So he was in a good place. And that house happen to need the amount of work that met his schedule. But that's what you have to ask yourself. You know, if you're an attorney and you're working 60 to 70 hours, 80 hours a week, you know, and, and you, you know, you don't have time during the week and you're only going to have time on the weekend. You have to ask yourself that, you know, a professional flipper could flip this house in two months. That's if they're working on it full time, six days a week. If you're working on it on the weekend, it's going to take you a year and a half to get there. Do you have the, the, 
ability to be able to work on this house for a year and a half while you're living somewhere else and working full time and just living your life. Yeah, this is looking like less and less of a good proposition <laughs> as we go through. You, you, know? you figured me out, Lou. You figured me out. And uh, <laughs> I, I wish some, I wish I would somebody would have had this conversation with me before I bought this house. Uh, how much working capital, right? So you're, either yeah. way, even if you're doing it yourself, you still got, you know, you're going to have a big bill at Lowe's or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and and I'll give you a perfect example. We just did the episode a, a few months ago about surviving a home renovation. Um, you know, we had a full bathroom remodel done. And yes, we paid our contractor what we paid him to do the work. But part of our bill was also, you know, having to buy flooring and this and that and everything else over at, you know, whether we went to Lowe's, but whether you go to Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever. So it's like, even if you're doing the work yourself, a full bathroom remodel still may be two to three, you know, grand in materials. So you have to factor that. It's like, okay, if you're doing a full bathroom remodel, that might be three grand in materials. If you have another second half bath, that might be another thousand in materials. You know, um, if you're redoing a kitchen, you have to start asking yourself, do I have the working capital available? Because even if I am doing all the work myself, you still have to buy materials and that's still going to come at a cost. And if it's a foreclosure that is completely you know, destitute and desolate, you're in a situation where you're going to be dropping significant capital. I had buyers that bought a foreclosure once and they did most of the work themselves between the husband and wife um, and her father, who was a general contractor. You know, they both had worked at a hardware store for years. He had actually worked under the the father-in-law who was the general contractor for the longest time. So all three of them were very, very good at what they did. They still dropped, I think, close to 40 grand and just everything that needed repaired because the whole, it was a foreclosure, the whole house needed redone. And so they were in it for 40 grand, just in the repair costs. Again, had they had to pay someone that probably would have been doubled, if not tripled, you know, if, if someone else did the work now, don't get me wrong. I've gone back to the house since they've done the work and the work is gorgeous and they are going to be greatly rewarded if, and when they decide to sell that house. But at the same time, they still were in it for a heavy amount of capital um, for the work. Now we we can on a different podcast. We'll have to get Jim back on here to talk renovation loans. There are renovation loans out there, but just like we're talking today, that a fixer upper may not be all it's cracked up to be. Renovation loans may not be all they're cracked up to be either. You know, I, have, I got to think about that, Lou. This is a great this is a great sign of the podcast. I think we might have done a renovation loan. A podcast episode, but it was so long ago, I can't remember. We might have sure. done one. I feel like there's, we might have done one. With probably Jim. new stuff, anyways. Um, yeah, yeah. You have to. I mean, it can get really, really crazy. And uh, if yes. you don't have, and even these folks you're talking about, they had experience in it. They probably knew, like, how they could save money on things and everything. And they still spent forty grand on stuff. So it's like, you got to keep that in mind for sure. Yep. Yep. Um, so what do we have next going to be able to, Oh, so are you going to be able to stick with it? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's kind of self-explanatory, but just the proverbial question, you know, are you going to get two weekends into this and go, Oh crap. This I sucks. really shouldn't have gotten into it. <laughs> and I sadly hate to say it, but I have seen that happen before. I have actually listed homes where people came in and had the greatest of intentions. Um, and then just, Life took them in a different way, whether it was family, work, 
passion, whatever life takes them in a different, in a different way. And they decide to just sell it as is, you know, without any of the repairs or changes. And I will tell you that in the few times I've done this, they have taken a huge hit, a huge hit financially for just trying to walk away from it. So, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, the road to hell were paved with good intentions. So uh, just a theoretical question, make sure you can see it through. So, yep. And will it make a good resale or not just because you put, uh, you know, so, and sometimes you end up in a situation, don't you, Jason, where you kind of end up upside down, right? You, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? You take, you know, maybe, you know, you do, you see it through, right? And yeah. then you end up with, you know, a house you put $100,000 into and it's only worth 80000 or worse. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. You know, the other thing that you have to rep, rep, um, recognize is that, you know, will the house make good for good resale? Now, if you're buying something for owner occupancy purposes, hopefully you're going to live there a long time. And so you don't have to go into this with the mind of a good investor because, yeah, you're right. You could buy something for 100000 dump dump $100,000 worth of work into it. So you're into it for 200,000, but if you're going to live into it for eight to 10 years, hopefully knock on wood, you should be able to get, you know, your money back out of it. Hopefully. Um, what, what I want to make sure of, I have some investors that I'm working with now and I have worked with in the past. You have to make sure that you're buying a property that has good resale value. I'll give you an example. I showed two properties yesterday. Okay. To an investor. Well, no, I'm sorry. Someone who's looking for owner occupancy purposes, okay. but then is maybe eventually thinking about it, renting it out once they once they decide that they need a bigger home. The first house we showed was a nice ranch where everything was flipped, meaning the ranch, you walked in, living room, kitchen, dining room, and there was an a, there was an attached garage. Okay. The bedrooms, all four of them. And the full bath were in the basement. Hmm, that's weird. It's a very weird layout okay. to have all four bedrooms and the bathroom in the basement. Quirky. What's in the rest of the damn house? <laughs> yeah. So there's there's that. There's stuff like that where it's like, that's kind of quirky. And that might be an issue for a resale value. And then I showed a duplex on a main road where quite literally there was no parking. There was no parking. It sat up on the hill of a main road, but there wasn't enough of a shoulder to off street or on street park in front of the house. And there's like a road in the back that according to the neighbors, according to the neighbors, isn't a road. It's their private driveway. So I'm like, where do you park? And I told the buyer, yeah, there might be a way to put some off street parking here, but you're going to have to go through a lot of red tape to get that issue worked out. You're going to have to go through a lot of red tape to talk to the neighbor, you know, have them give you permission for ingress, egress, blow out the, the hill that's there, clear all the trees, pave a pathway to get parking off street parking on onto your property. You know, you could be looking at a $15,000, $20,000 fix for a duplex that wasn't even costing $70,000 to purchase. So stuff yeah. like that where you just have to be real careful, but, but parking is a major amenity. Like if you don't have parking, that's a problem. That is a huge problem. That is going to be a major resale value if there's nowhere to park and you live on a main road. 
Yeah, that's uh, not going to work. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you it's not going to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have to make sure that that the amenities are there, that it's not going to cause an issue on resale. Right, 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 right. I got gotcha. you. Oh, boy. Okay. So there's a lot to think about here. A lot. Yep. Anything yep. you want to add before we close out? So I'll try to end on a happy note ah. because I don't want the whole episode to be Debbie Downers. Um, if you are handy, and if you have the time and the working capital, buying a fixer-upper can be very, very lucrative, and it can be very rewarding, and it can give you the chance to maybe get a little bit of a discount on a property that isn't making as much because most people want to buy a house that maybe isn't necessarily you know, um, turnkey, but it's at least moving ready where there's not nothing that has to be done right away. If you're buying a fixer-upper, it can be lucrative. My only strong urgency is that you really look at the man or the woman in the mirror and ask these questions that we talked about. You know, do you have the working capital? Do you have the skill set or the people who have the skill set? Do you have the passion? Do you have the drive? Um, and do you have the wherewithal to see this whole thing through? Because it's it's going to take a while. And depending on how bad the uh, shape the property's in, it it could take a lot more time skill and working capital than you think. And, you know, don't be shocked if your fixer upper needs 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, $80,000 worth of work and two months working on it full time to get it done. Um, if you, if you've got the passion to do that and you're really driven to do that, it could be very lucrative and you could really find a gem that you could make some money on down the road when you go to resell. Okay. Very good, Jason. Thanks for the uh, awesome advice. Um, I just want to add something on a personal note. My personal final thoughts is this is excellent advice that I wish somebody had sat me, sat down with me and told me um, about 20, 20, back in 2021. I mean, I mean back in uh, 2001. Um, <clears throat> so I'm in a house that should not have ever had any money put into it. Um, it's, you know, it's just, you know, um, but I, it was one of those, you know, deals. And I thought I had the best of intentions. I have it partially remodeled. Um, but those remodels are so old now. They need to be remodeled. Um, and it's really, uh, if you're not that kind of person who likes to do stuff like that, who loves things like that, you know, I have many, many other interests and just was not a good situation for me. And I think somebody like Jason, you know, had been there would have been like, Hey Lou, let's, let's, you know, I know what you want to do, but let's look at this realistically. Are you really the kind of person that's going to, you know, do this, do this, do this, and this, look at this Lou. This is like, you know, but the person who got me into this, into this house was just very excited with themselves to make a sale. And, um, didn't give me what wasn't being a good oh she was a good real estate agent i guess <laughs> not a really good real estate advisor so i'm saying all that to say this this is one of the reasons why working with jason is like could, could will save you thousands of dollars <laughs> because sometimes when you're looking for a place to live you get wacky ideas you know what i mean it's a time in your life you know maybe, maybe you're like my my situation was very stressful i had a couple deaths uh one in my family somebody else was very very close to me like back to back I wasn't thinking clearly and I got uh you know I did not get advice that was in my best interest 
and for whatever your reason is for, for moving, moving is a stressful time. Maybe you've got to relocate for a job. Maybe, you know, your family is growing. Maybe it's, maybe your family is moving out and you need blah, 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 whatever. So all those things, usually sometimes you're not looking at all the details. That's why having a great real estate advisor can be the kind of person that like, while Jason wants to make that sale, trust me, <laughs> he wants to make that sale. He's going to say, yeah, you know, Mr. Smith, I just, you know, seeing how you live and everything I got going on, I don't think this is going to be a good fit for you. And here's why. Um, the, uh, these simple bullet points here that we were explained in about 20 minutes to, to you guys, like would have saved me thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and tons of heartache and frustration. So um, take this very seriously and get a hold of Jason if you're thinking about moving, buying, selling, whatever you have going on, because this is a guy who's going to like lead you in the right direction. He's not just going to try to grab you put you in the first thing to make the highest commission that he can like immediately or 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 get you out of the way because he doesn't want to deal with you <clears throat> he's going to give you great advice so you can reach out to jason at um Oh, where? Oh, there it is. At 412-651-4638. 412-651-4638. You can text if you're shy. If you're really shy, you can email Jason at jason.wilcox at pittsburghmoves.com. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you all on the next Really Real Real Estate Podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.